Nordic Food Lab Radio. I'm sitting in the car with Lila Speak. Uh, Lila Speak, Skalchen. As we drive down the winding, birch and pine-flanked road from her home near Jelavari in Norrbottensland, Sweden, toward the Sami village of Saltalukta, where we will be living for the summer. And I am teacher, but I have been my work with the children, and I work with the Sami culture. It was food, and it was a lot of another thing. And so I educated people to how you make the food, the plants, and the, how you lived in the nature, and yeah. Lila is a Sami woman. The Sami people was a people what uh, they called from the word native people here up in the north. And one of the only indigenous groups in Northern Europe. She's also a cultural teacher and guide. She has dedicated her life to fiercely keeping alive the ancient traditional knowledge she received from her parents, despite the increasing pressures on her traditional reindeer herding way of life. My father said, you should think if you want to learn all of those knowledge, if you don't learn, you know, one day when I die, I take all the knowledge in the grave. And many of the knowledge, I am the last one who have them and could uh, teach. And so I said, of oh, course, and I'd be very afraid. Her father was a staunch champion of traditional skills, and by the sounds of it, a local hero, who among many things built a traditional sod-sided Sami church in Saltalukta with his own two hands, hauling the logs by reindeer up the mountain. Down to the pencil line and whack out the chunks with an ax. So she listened to her father and spent her seasons as a child growing up with him. I was the eldest of the sisters, so I was always together with my father when I was free from the school and the studying. And I helped him with the reindeer and my two sisters too, because I don't have brothers. So we have been educated to be a girl and boys. And that is so... This kind of education is now proving vital. When you have this knowledge, it's important because you could tell the big forest company how important the forest, different kinds of forests are for us. So they cut it down the wood and they said it was only the reindeer who use that kind of food. We also take care of that and made something else what we could eat and the people have never heard about that. And they said, why did the Sami people don't tell that when they are fighting to protect the forest for the reindeer? I said, maybe. And I could say, they don't have that knowledge. And that's why I have got a lot of work to work with the different companies and learn that what how rich the forest was.
my mission. We must, uh, everybody who has some knowledge, we must uh, tell the people, learn them and let them taste. We must let them taste. Yes, the food is set to collecting the family. And you see Noma are interested in the Arctic food. People come from the world to eat that food. So food is something what people are interested in. Mm -hmm. And got new, new inspiration to how they could cook and new tastings. Because it was a lot of the food what they done, what people never had eaten. It was a lot of that food I make they never have heard about and eaten. And so they said, that is very interesting. She starts with tasty food and then uses that as an entry point for conversations about environmental degradation, health, and the ability to practice and pass on traditions. Conversations that are becoming more and more important in the Sami community. So I have had many lot of big dinners for the government, European Parliament, that I have all of this kind of food. So uh, I had grown up and I burned for that and I see it was healthy food and today it was very healthy food because you know food you buy have a lot of chemical and a lot of uh, bad things in that. It was so sad when my people are not more interested in that. I have a lot of young people, I say, why did you done the company? So you could done, for example, you could make the flour for me, I buy it from you. You could make the salt for me or that and that, you know, things like that. But it, it was not a tradition mm -hmm. to do something like that. So mm -hmm. that's why nothing happened. So what does happen is that people like me end up seeking her out. Scandinavian Canadians with ambiguous Sami heritage who are on a quest to rediscover their roots through food. Which is why I'm telling you this story, and is why I was sitting in that car, 1,500 kilometers north of Stockholm, about to spend two months volunteering for this woman I barely knew, living in sod huts and teepees and far, far away from modern conveniences. I was there to learn about Sami food, but what I was really searching for was a taste of home. to go to Salto. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> you have to take a boat across the lake to get to Salto, which luckily is operated by STF, the Swedish Tourist Association, who run a small lodge that hosts hikers trekking in the Kungsleden Trail that passes behind the village. 
We landed with all our gear on the still snowy shores of Langus Lake on June 6th and immediately got to work unpacking the vast pile of tote bags, coolers full of meat, potted plants, and boxes of supplies and handicrafts that would turn out to be nearly everything we needed for two months at the camp. You could look at this band when I'm looking. In true Sami fashion, Lila is not a stationary person. She spends her year traveling, teaching, and divided between different communities. The Sami are historically, and today, nomadic people, following their reindeer herds as they move with the seasons. From the lowlands in the winter to the highlands or the coast in the summertime as they search for better feed, weather and relief from insects. This means families together often have multiple homes at or near the extremes of their reindeer's migration paths, where they can have a base camp for the smaller sojourns of rounding up the calves for marking in the summer, for example, or for slaughter in the autumn. In the past, families would move with the herd by foot or on skis and reindeer pulled sledges because I was going up to the mountain and forest in a sledge. I was riding, sitting on the reindeer who take me up and we have all the luggage on the reindeer back. Today they have built road because we have a lot of um, power stations and they have destroyed the uh, lakes. And that is also one thing we have changed. And uh, so now they could uh, drive with a car high up in the mountain and we have snow scooter, you don't need to ski so much <laughs> and uh, you use a helicopter when you are catching them together and put them in a big uh, fence yeah. and uh, there we work like we have worked on the hundred. I was able to see this hundreds of years old knowledge in action on one of these smaller sojourns to the calf marking in a place called Sitas Yauri, even higher up in the mountains and more remote. We're just walking right up to the corral where the, the calf are being lassoed for marking. This is when each herding community rounds up their reindeer in order to count and mark that year's calves, an activity so central to the both the economic and cultural lives of the herders that Arald, Lila's husband, describes it like Christmas morning. I'm there with some friends of Lila's who are documentary filmmakers, and my friend Jesper, a young bird enthusiast from Sweden, who have all been to a marking before. But for me, it was my first. Is that the sound of just of a, of a feet? No, no, that also makes sounds. Yeah. Oh, there's even kids in there. <laughs> Everyone is participating. I could see toddlers to seniors in the large fenced-in area that also held a spiraling stampede of about 200 reindeer, also of all ages. Despite the late hour, the marking started at around 9 and ended at 2 a.m. The midnight sun provided light and energy for the mentally and physically exhausting task ahead. Identifying, lassoing, and marking the ears of the brand new calves. Every mark has to be different enough from the other one. Oh yeah, but anyway, I mean, if it should be round or if it's like this or just cut off. Yeah. Are some of them round? Yeah. There are some traditions. Some Sami have used technology to adapt. Snow scooters over skis, for example. But there are also other traditions and hands-on practices, like the many skills involved in marking calves. That cannot really be replaced. Yeah, this seems like an almost impossible task. Like this is like mm -hmm. finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah, yeah. 
and then having to laugh through the needle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 see, see, there you go. We just need more disbelievers. Oh, and he just hog ties the little fella. Got a neon orange lasso. And immediately the kids are just jumping in, jumping right in. Amazing to watch. When it comes to modern practices, Lila made it really clear that each family is different, and each region has both different traditions and historical reasons for what knowledge carries on into the present day. Why, why do you think it was that your both of your parents had so much knowledge? Because they uh, grew up with a family who knows who they are, have a lot of tradition, mm. but they were also very modern, so they could see oh, that is not uh, good for this time of the life and the new era is coming and you must change the lifestyle. For Lila's family, adapting their lifestyle was better than giving it up entirely. In this new era, the reindeer don't pull the sleighs or carry young children like they did when she was a girl, but the herders still have an intimate love of their reindeer. When the herd was up in the mountains, delayed in their migration by the late spring snow clover, very often, Lila's family members talked about how they missed them in a way I don't think hunters, for example, would speak of their prey. We have lived here over 10,000 years, maybe more, because they have fine things after us, and uh, we have lived in the beginning of hunting and so we tamed the reindeer so they could wear everything what we have and we got the meat and skin and make the clothes. In the modern time had changed different things. We must, uh, when we slopped the reindeer if you want to sell it, we have specially slopped who slopped them and but the reindeer we self eat, we don't uh, the reindeer are not fully wild, like moose, or fully domesticated, like cows. There's something in between. It was challenging to grasp this as an outsider, and for the first few days in the mountain, I experienced some mild shock and disappointment, like, okay, where are the reindeer? I signed up to learn about reindeer herding. I think I pictured myself walking lazily through flower-studded pastures, following the herd with a shepherd's crook in hand, living close to nature, However, I found that I was relieved of this and many other romantic images I harbored in my mind, and instead became charged with a more complex picture of the modern reindeer herding way of life. Because they know this is a food what the parents and the ancestors have eaten it, mm. and they have could live in that strange area they lived and they have a good life. So that's why they have protected all the knowledge. Mm. And they also was a little bit afraid that time, what did the white people in the town sell it for them? They don't want it to have them. But they started slowly to buy the flour and, and salt and so. Mm. Mm. Uh -huh. So slowly the modern mm. things worked. Mm. But they have mostly the old traditions. Mm. 
Right, so you just your family was just all the way down, all these generations, yes, just yes. very strong with yes, the food culture. Yes, and they know what they want, and mm-hmm. they also talk, and they also fight for the mm. rights to could take all of the things from the nature. Yes, because it was many places uh, more in the east that you had small towns, and so they cut it down the wood, and they said it was only the reindeer who use that kind of food. We also take care of that and made something else what we could eat and Mm. the people have never heard about that. As has been the fate of many indigenous peoples, the Sami have been jostled about over the centuries by the whims of the states and cultures that surround them. And the people come up and they got the land and take the land from us and before that we have paid taxes for that, we have owned it. But the, the Swedish government just take it away. First, governments tried many times to take away land rights due to their nomadic reindeer herding lifestyle. Then various regulatory projects challenged the sovereignty of that lifestyle. And now foodies and academics are realizing the value of this traditional knowledge, actively seeking out these indigenous Arctic foods and heralding them as part of a collective Nordic terroir. Scientists have teamed up to create the Nordic version of the Mediterranean diet. Lila has worked with leaders of the new Nordic movement, restaurants like Feviken and Noma, and teaches around the world. She entrusts this knowledge to us, to those of us who seek to ask for it. But she makes it clear that the recipes are only one small part. You know, if you, if I, I should say to some people, if you stay maybe half year, you will learn, but now you are only touch with the learning, but it was enough for you who are started to work with that. Mm. And it will be easier if you don't have all the knowledge because you will start it to, oh, how was it then? You know, it will be for much. Yeah. So that yeah. was the first etap. You, I have got the whole cake. I have not got the pieces of the cake. <laughs> and that is my... The whole mushroom (laughs) cake. (laughs) You have all of it. Sharing with us doesn't mean giving her culture away wholesale. She decides what knowledge she shares and what she doesn't, emphasizing the always deeper context of the information at hand. And so you have the four directions, north, west, east, south, but also the contact with the underground. And so you have this band, what... uh, uh, my grandfather's mother had done it, and that had followed things like that. So I have that in Moriwara hanging in the kitchen, because that was a kind of protection, but it was also uh, very good for me to tell young people who come about the old uh, traditions and what people believe. And today there are very few who have things like that, and they don't talk about that, and they don't talk about the old religion and so. After spending time with Lila, watching her work and hearing her stories, it became clear that not all of those in her community are on board with her sharing with outsiders. In fact, she has experienced some nasty dealings with opponents to her work, but she continues both guarding and promoting her foods. And by letting me and others like me taste, we join her in that mission connected by salty, smoky reindeer meat, resinous birch tips, and the smell of the forest that produced them. 
but it's not for much so. Mmm. That's good. I like it. For this episode, I'd like to thank Lila Speaks Galche for her supreme wisdom, generosity, and patience, as well as her husband, Arald Skalche, and her daughter, Suna, and all of the wonderful family and friends who were so generous in sharing experiences and stories with me. Gitu. Thanks also to Josh Evans for editorial oversight in producing this podcast. Music from this episode is by Sami artists Ajagas, Juika, and Mary Boyne, and sounds from freesound.org. This episode of Nordic Food Lab Radio was produced by me, Anna Sigurther.